This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 166. 100% definitive official base game Space Cats Peace Turtles power ranking list underscore final underscore final final underscore version 3 for immediate release dot XLSX. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. I love a good goof. I love a good goof episode <laughs> title name that doesn't fit in the episode description. People yeah, will have this in their feed, and it, it, all they know is it's the 100% definitive official something. There will be no telling. <laughs> no podcast app will know what this episode is upon release. You, there's no way to know. Oh, well, I am now learning because we're, I know, I know by the sound of how long the goof is that we're in the episode now. So I just (laughs) learned that my thing did make it in. So that's good. And you know what? I think it's only fair because the whole time the show has been running since before I got this mixer, you've been able to do whatever annoying, like kind of sing songy bit you want to do anytime. And you know, it annoys me. You know, you've known it annoys me the whole time and you still do it. So, like, as far as I'm concerned, this is payback, baby. (laughs) What a dreadful experience we both give each other in this show. Uh, Man, today is a fun one, huh? Boy, it's funny the day we've had prepping this fun episode and then, like, let's do a bunch of business. And then it's like, let's return to the fun energy. And I'm very excited (laughs) to to do this. Uh, Before we get into it, though, we do actually still have to stick to business for a second. We've got business to, to cover. The business is... We're doing another root tournament. We've kind of already talked about the fact that we're doing this. But starting in January, we're going to do a 64-person root tournament using the draft method we came up with. Not we, but that our tournament council came up with in the uh, test tournament. That test tournament was for this tournament. So starting December 1st and running through the month of December, you can sign up. It is a Patreon tournament, so our patrons... Uh, or can, can join it. And for this tournament, this might be a controversial thing. I'm sorry to to shake up the community with this, but for this tournament, we have to stick with, uh, it is a Galactic Counselor tournament. So Galactic yeah. Council level and up. There will be some restructuring of the uh, Patreon in 2021. We do that every year. We just kind of like to, sh- to, to shift some things around. Uh, but for this root tournament, part of that is Galactic Counselor and higher uh, will receive the invites to the root tournament. And I'm sorry if that upsets anybody, but a $1 admission fee versus a $5 admission fee to a tournament is what I would call a small difference. Not negligible. <laughs> I understand. I have to be careful here, right? I'm supposed to I'm supposed to be really careful with how I word that, but gotta right. gotta up it a little. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. So sorry guys. It uh it has the fact that we're doing a root tournament and a Twilight Imperium POK yep. tournament back to back in 2021 that is a a fact yeah. that is happening uh we are we are just kind of having and and if if some people are thinking like oh is this foreshadowing 
the TI tournament, uh, I would expect something similar. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is foreshadowing. <laughs> well, uh, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, kind of kind of random day to just say like, hey, that's something we're doing. But uh, and and if 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 you if you are angry with about this, I totally yeah. understand. I just can't do anything about like, yeah. it's just we just have to we, listen, man. Molly's got to go to college. You going to take that away from me? What's the we, deal? We. <laughs> There Why was do you a hate point, Molly so much? <laughs> there was a point in in the tournament, you know, era of Space Cats. We, I say that as if someday we won't do tournaments. That's yep. silly. But um, when we started this, we would be like, oh, let's do a tournament without having a concrete idea of how many man hours right. um, are involved. And then uh, last year, I would say we had a better idea of how many man hours were involved. And we still had to utilize like what, like a, a pretty significant team of people and they uh, had to pour a lot of man hours into it. In addition to the man hours we were pouring. Uh, And so there's just no illusions now as to what we, and can I say the other bigger reason and the reason this will even more apply to the TI tournament, but it's definitely going to apply to the root tournament. Uh, Turns out, Someone contributing a dollar to get into a tournament doesn't mean they have any intent of necessarily showing up to their game. So we kind right. of have to raise the stakes just so that everybody will actually turn up and care about it. Uh, so That's like a good we, point. we are raising the barrier of entry so that we get people that are committed to it. So I'm sorry, but that, you know, I, I literally had like upwards of 30 people bail on last year's tournament after signups. So we're we're just trying to do what we can to right. get Right. And if it costs in. you a dollar, you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. All it cost me was a dollar. Right. So, right. if anything, yeah. If anything we're doing this on your behalf. <laughs> <laughs> we did this for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're idiots. Okay. But yeah, Let's... no, please sign up for the root tournament. Yes. Um we're not expecting a first day like slam like, no, like what happened this year not. with the TI tournament. I'll, I'll say this know. much for for clarity too, what that will come in the form of is uh, we will start getting signups on de- December 1st and either on December 1st or very, very shortly after, like December, by December 4th or so, I will send uh, like a message out to Galactic Counselors on our Patreon. You'll get an email basically that says, hey, here's the form to sign up. And that that that's how that goes. Right. So just be keeping an eye on your Patreon inbox or your email uh, for for that form to sign up. That, that's what you're looking for. Awesome. Let's do today's episode because I'm freaking stoked on it. Uh, We're doing the 100% definitive official base game SCPT power ranking list uh, underscore final underscore final fornerist underscore version three for immediate release. Uh, This is it. This is we we are done with base game. Prophecy of Kings is upon us. And that means we have to rank them. Not just a tier list. This isn't your poor man's. Yeah, no, we're not doing. We're calling shots. (laughs) Yeah, we are going to tell you in exact detail. Yep. With a hundred percent accuracy, yeah, we did a lot of science ranking. for this. Uh, so there's there's a lot riding on this. You know, the entire scientific community has come together to provide yeah. us these numbers, uh, and um, they are infallible. Yeah, we are abs. If you are, if you listen to this, uh, these rankings, we have all seventeen factions ranked in their exact order. Yep, as we have divined it. Yes, that's the verb I would use. Divined. Divined <laughs> it. We have communicated with a TI god of our own making, <laughs> and that that god has and his given name us. Is Neparibo. Yes, 
don't even do not make me do this to you right now, Matt. You are you what are is our playing God with. I want to summon him now. Fire, to... Matt. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's go. For, we're going from bottom up, so we're going to start with the definitive. The final say, oh man, this is all, this is going to start so bad. We are going to have our house burned down, Hunter. I don't care, dude. <laughs> I don't care. If, if, again, as we've established already, if you think this ranking, if you think these are wrong, you are wrong. You are wrong. Like, I'm sorry. I, this is, me and Matt are the two leading Twilight Imperium 4th game base edition experts like, how have you not gotten that figured out thus thus far? We are the yeah, have you ultimate even listened to experts. a single episode of the show? Obviously, we're experts, and obviously, we know everything. We are huge experts, dude. Yeah. I literally wear a lab coat when we record yeah. Yeah. because I am a TI scientist. Yes. Okay. And and in that science, we have determined that the worst Twilight Imperium fourth for sure, edition, for sure, the number seventeen faction. Yeah. Is. The Arborak. <laughs> I just had to dodge pitchforks being hurled at me. It's the Arborak. Shot it's not the fired. Winu. We're firing the shots. Let's talk about number 17 and 16 in tandem because it's important. Sure. Number 16 is the Winu. But how? How could it be possible, Hunter, that the Winu are not the worst faction? How does that happen? How yeah, did science so get borrow... it so right? Yeah, I'm going to borrow your logic, actually, which is that when the Winu are at their worst, they're like a vanilla faction with no special abilities. Yep. When the Arborek is at their worst, they're like a vanilla faction that can't build infantry out of their space docks. Yep. yep. That's it. And let's turn. That's let's really the logic. Let's flip the script around the other way, too. When they are at their best, when they're at their absolute best, Arborek builds a ton of stuff as long as they have the money for it. When the Winu are at their best, they got at least one free point and are probably mm-hmm. getting Imperial at least two more times. They get two to three free points. They get objectives. Hey, I don't know if you remember this, Hunter. Objectives are how you win Twilight Imperium. Oh. So Winu are, even though they're both bad, they're the 16th and the 17th best factions. Right. Winu actually have an objective-focused strategy, whereas the right. Arborek do not. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, uh, I have received, I, I asked uh, when we were doing the Arborek episode for video proof right. of the Arborek winning. I have received, I want to be fair to Pink, I have received video proof of the Arborek winning. However, regardless of that one little piece of video that I have yep. that confirmed that it is possible, uh, that's all I got. And that for a was second. it a very convincing win in terms of did Arborek's I'm abilities... not going to criticize Pink's win. No, I'm no, not no, going to no, criticize no. Pink's win. I'm not win. asking you to criticize Pink's win. I'm asking you to criticize Arborek. Did Arborek's tools lead to that victory? Is it the Arborek our, tool that... set that gave Pink the win? No, I think Pink won the game. <laughs> yeah, I think Pink is a better player and won as Arborek. <laughs> okay, yes, that's that's fair. But what I want to say, I just want to emphasize how crazy it is that I asked the community the entire to give community. me video proof, the entire community, and the best that someone could come up with was was Pink sending me a video of, it was a five-player game. That's my only gripe with it. It was a five-player game. <laughs> so already, from the onset, it's just more likely 
that Arbrek would win because there's less people in the game. Sure. Maybe so. But regardless of that, all I got was a single win. And as far as my personal memory is, I remember winning a single game as Arbrek, although I don't know for sure that that is a real memory or it could have been placed there by the grand Arbrek conspiracy. Okay. (laughs) I could be kind of a Manchurian candidate myself. I I doubt myself when it comes to this. When it comes to Winu, Matt, I can remember you winning. Yeah. I remember uh, a Matt Winu winning. Well, we also have multiple video evidence. We have multiple videos yes. of Winu winning. Winu's yep. won in a 14-point game. Winu's yes. won in SCPT tournament games twice. I twice. think twice. Yeah. Yes. We've there seen plenty Winu of Winu wins on video. I won the four-player 14-point game as Winu. They're all well, over the place. Well, that doesn't count. Well, I'm just saying it's video proof of a Winu win. In general, <laughs> we have more... <laughs> Even, I don't have Arborek games that don't count. <laughs> I don't even have right. those wins, right? It right. didn't happen. Right. Uh, let's get into the next chunk. Uh, I want to put these next two up against e- uh, each other again. Number 15 and number 14, in order, is... This is... Man, people hate... People are not Just do number like, 15 People first. are Just not going like give, give it its own space <laughs> so that people me. can react. Uh, number 15 is the Extra Kingdom. The third worst faction in Twilight Imperium is the extra kingdom. Now they now have people. Four... People right now are saying this is Matt. This yeah. is all Matt. Yeah, right. This is not Hunter. How could Hunter let no, this happen? No, I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as has been, I saw someone uh, put it really succinctly recently. Uh, this is happening because of Prophecy of Kings. People are talking about is extra a PDS faction, and people have come to the conclusion that extra is not a PDS faction. And guess what? Extra is also not really a diplomacy faction. Uh, they have this mm-hmm. diplomacy ability, but that doesn't do anything for them. They're not really a negotiating faction. They only have four commodities. They have no other tools to trade. That's going to put that people are going to disagree with that to a certain extent. There are yeah, there are tricky things you can do with like how you when and how you quash and whatever. I get it, but those pale in comparison to other people's tradable tools. What people kind of seem to widely widely agree, Extra's powers, Extra's superpowers are their two faction tech. So the only way right. your faction comes online is if you get both of your faction technologies. And even then, they are defensive only and don't well, help and, you score and, any and the points. Problem, the problem with those faction tech are that they are green and yellow. So that's yeah. a horrible tech path. Yeah. That's the worst tech path, I believe. Well, I guess green and red is probably worse than green yellow. Yeah, for now. But it's, yeah. it's, just, it's a bad tech path that doesn't go anywhere, that doesn't um, get them any natural points. Everything you do as extra, you do of your own accord. Right. Now that's I, I gotta reiterate this thing. There's only 17 factions. Like, there's gonna be a 15th faction. If you, I don't know how you can sell me on the idea that Extra are better than any of the factions that we have coming up on the list. Right? I'm not right. saying Extra are absolute trash. They're just unwinnable. We've we've seen no, Extra no. wins. But what, what I'm saying is they are worse than everything that is, that comes next. Yeah, I I completely 100% agree. I think it mostly comes down to with Extra. It feels like there are two um, there are two kind of tracks that every well actually I'll I'll make three tracks right here. Every every faction has some sort of workhorse unit for it um, yeah. at this point. There's the factions where Carrier Two is their workhorse unit. Mm-hmm. There are factions where Dreadnought Two is their workhorse unit, and then there are factions, sad factions, where Cruiser Two is their workhorse unit. Right. Now, Cruiser 2 is objectively the worst of those three units that could be kind of the, like, you know, cornerstone of uh, of your your whole 
thing, right? Yeah. Mentac obviously have an exception that make it a little more effective for them, which is, I think, why they get kind of a pass for being a little more Cruiser 2 friendly. Extra, I feel like, never defined itself, really, yeah. as far as what of those three paths made the most sense for them because they all seemed bad to be honest like none of them really they all had trade-offs that were really rough going any of those three directions but those three units because they carry you know they carry your your infantry they are super important like you kind of need one of those three upgrades every faction i feel like has some sort of favoring towards one of those three and need to incorporate it right next on our list has the coolest of its workhorse uh, units. Number 14 is the Embers of Muat. Yeah. Major workhorse, big egg in the basket. You're afraid of losing it, but you have more tradable materials than other factions. You have more threatening power than uh, a decent amount of factions. Whether you can actually back that up is sometimes questionable. Uh, sure. But, but the Muat... What we see pretty consistently with the Muad is if you can survive the early game, if you can trade enough where people don't want to come attack you and you make it into the late game, you do very well in the late game. You can kind of totally. really dominate the late game. And and if the objectives are right, you're going to have a good time. You're going to have a, a pretty decent chance at victory. There are plenty of objectives yeah. that really hurt for them, but there are plenty often paths to victory for the Muad that make sense. Yeah, I I love it. Uh, completely agree. I think to me the the Achilles heel for Muat uh, has always been getting the the CC economy figured out and yep. getting your tech your tech path right. Um, figuring out whether you're going Blue Ot or if you're going for Prototype War Sun Two. I think at this point, you know, we've kind of talked about them sort of recently, but for for us, it's really all about going after Prototype War Sun Two because it's like, why are you playing them if you're not? Yeah. gonna go there well, and again, what i think that's is, what gives you that late game potential and the blue like we said course. in the guide the blue doesn't get you there the blue helps the blue helps you survive the mid game but then it offers you absolutely nothing in the late game exactly it doesn't give you a superpower right um what i what i think i i think the thing that's still like it you know obviously i've kind of come around on muat yeah. um this year uh, and and i really do feel it i i don't, I don't know why i do think that personal taste sort of shaped our um overall view of muat because i think i just like really did not like them so much where i think at times i would have said they were the worst faction in the game Mm. which is a huge overstatement and not correct i think this is well obviously this is exactly where they go because we have figured it out completely but uh what i want to say about them that i think still think is interesting and kind of a problem is that I always feel like when I'm playing them, I'm like, I need as many CCs as possible. And also I need to use a red skip. And I hate that. I hate that aspect of them because the red skips are the ones that hurt the most. Yeah. I mean, that is the whole thing. So the the reason they get knocked down to 14th is because everything that's good about them has a pretty significant cost. Their stuff is good, but other factions get really good stuff for free. And they get to pay for every single good thing that they have. Um, That's the difficulty of it. Uh, number 13, so there's no tiers, right? I want to be very clear. There's no tiers. But there's a pretty right. sizable gap between number 14 and our, our 13th best faction. Um, Hunter, I would, I would like you to do the honors of introducing the yeah, 13th so best faction. Yeah, so it's the Bug Boys, the Bugmen, <laughs> the Sardak Nor, of course. Um, you know, obviously, I'm a huge fan. And if you want to say, oh, Hunter's, Hunter's bias 
uh, got the Sardak Nor up higher than they deserve. Of course, you'd be wrong, but also you'd be right because, of course, I have a bias for my bug boys. <laughs> Um, but I think it's funny because we just got done talking about the Muat, a faction that has like a cool thing they do. Yep. They have a war sun, right? Uh, and, and a kind of rough start. Obviously, Sardak Nor, probably an even rougher start. Right. But the cool thing they do, plus one to all combat, is so, so much more expansive and versatile compared to, I have this one unit that's good at right. stuff. You right. know what well, I mean? And, and mix in with that exotrireme twos that can yes. truly turn the tide of some major battles or or set up incredibly good defenses. Sardak Nor is uh given the right objectives, an incredibly good faction. Given yeah. tech focused and economic objectives, they fall behind. Sure. But all the control totally. stuff, they they can hold their own, if not dominate most other factions pretty pretty well. Yeah. Well, I will say, so it, I would say in the last year, um, me and and the other people that play a lot of Sardak, we're in kind of a cult together. We have our own Discord. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> what we've discovered that we try not to tell the rest of the world is that, yeah, they don't start with any tech, but that's actually only one behind right. most factions. Right. And so if you're willing to make tech a priority, then, yeah, Sardak can get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've had Sardak games where I had legit crazy pants tech. Right. Legit crazy pants. Yeah. Yeah. If the if the agendas go the right way, where extra t tech hits the board, you you hit your end game potential much faster. The yeah. the, the Achilles heel to a Sardak Nor is one where the tech never came online and tech objectives kept coming up, and you felt you you just never got the actual scoring potential you needed, and you didn't have the late game. You know, it was very difficult to get to Exo Trireme Two. I mean, there are games where you don't get Exo Trireme Two until round five as Sardak. Right. Like if you can never get your hands on tech, and you pro maybe you didn't buy tech round one. The four tech you need to get Exo Trireme 2 took you until round five to get, and maybe it's too late to turn that into something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. num number 12 is, I think these next, I, I want to say this ahead of the next three, I think these next three fall into a really difficult category to actually uh, get in the right order. Thank goodness we nailed it. I mean, thank goodness we got right, it exactly right. 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 But it it, it took uh, probably the most amount of work to to get these three factions. Yeah, I will order. say. So a lot of this probably took a around two minutes of talking, and then this one was like a whole extra minute just by itself. <laughs> so, and I mean, we yeah we we did get it. That's a lot. I mean, of we science. got it. I, yeah. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm like, it's perfect. Yeah, so. it's perfect. Uh, so number twelve is the Mentac Coalition. The Mentech Coalition start with two great tech. They can very quickly get very good defensive abilities. They have one of the best late-game economic powerhouse techs in the game. Uh, mirror computing is crazy good and sometimes just means you, you win, right? A stage, a spend 16 right. resources comes up and you're sitting on enough trade goods. You just knock it out of the park. Uh, their Cruiser 2s, they lean on a little bit and we don't love Cruiser 2, but it's the best. It's it's the best cruiser twos you can get, um, but I don't even think you need cruiser twos. But the big fallback is they have a major meta problem where the table doesn't like to do any favors for you, so you're playing on your own. When you're when you're mentac, you're just out there on your own uh, trying to make everything work. Um, but the stuff that you have to make it work works pretty well. Yeah, I mean honestly, mirror mirror computing alone is probably worth like a couple points yep. 
on the old scale, you know? Yeah, without mirror computing, uh, this probably falls behind Embers of Muat, right? Yeah. I mean, at, at Three the very least. Three or four spots at least. Yeah. Uh, next up is number 11, the Asaral Tribes. Whoa. I feel like, honestly, Asaral Tribes have sort of a similar feel to Mentak, which is like, people are not into your thing. Mentak's problem is more out in the open, and Asaral's is hidden behind a wall of action cards, right? Sure, sure. But you have unit problems. There's, uh, you know, you, you decide to go green, blue, kind of, but that doesn't necessarily lean into your strengths. Uh, and it, it can be hard to know how to leverage what you've got. But what you have is a ton of very good action cards that for the first year of this show was like 75% of plays of the week were just people talking right. about crazy right. Asaral victories that they had. So there's no way we can yeah. discount that power. But what we've seen is in tournament play, when everybody at the table knows Asaral's tricks, it can be hard to find your footing. Right. Well, the plastic situation is not great. And I think what we found is, you know, action cards can go a long way, uh, obviously. And I mean, in some ways... Uh, I think Isarl can kind of use their action cards to definitely protect their own game to kind of say, like, I mean, I've definitely played games where I was able to really take advantage of Isarl uh, because of their plastic situation. But then now I have the worst enemy at the table of just like every action card you yeah. can think of just flying at me. But that's all cool or whatever. But I don't really know how that gets. If Isarl had something that like, definitely scored them points right they would probably be like too good right. you know what i mean yeah, like exactly they, they their ability is great and if it if it always translated to like oh they logistically are just gonna be in the running every time they probably have a higher win rate than everybody else yeah but the problem is that that doesn't that doesn't really happen I, they, like they have to find the points from kind of being a bit mediocre on the table itself Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what you just described, Hunter, is what TI three was. <laughs> yeah. Their, their totally. abilities led to points point generation, and that pushed them into this like godlike tier that nobody else could touch. Uh, they got properly nerfed uh, in TI four, and that puts them here close to middle of the pack. Uh, what is our number ten? Ooh. Oh. Okay. Now we're in the top we're in ten. The top this 10. is big. Ooh. This is the next ten factions are the top ten definitive official base game space cats peace turtles factions listed in order by power all right so number number 10 <laughs> is the ghosts of Creus. Ooh, this one probably controversial <laughs> maybe i don't know i think this is exactly i mean i know this is exactly right but i think the community can kind of agree with this because there are plenty of people like me that just have never gotten the ghost of Creus to pull it off but they see the mm -hmm. potential. And then you have yes. all of those players where you've seen them knock it out of the park and do have amazing games that everything works for the ghosts. So I have to look at that evidence and go, things work. Um, and I, yeah. I think the thing that Hunter, you and I came up with is the the big key to the ghosts is they just have this versatility that a lot of other factions uh, don't have. You can right. play red-yellow ghosts. You can play blue-green ghosts. You can play blue-yellow yeah. ghosts. Like, you can go in any direction, which means you can get almost any slice and find a pathway that works. We've seen so much potential in their ability as far as like how wild people are able to uh, kind of experiment with ghosts. And we've just seen a lot of different, you know, we've we've seen a lot of different players approach them 
and do crazy things with them. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I kind of think of them as like, they're like the Lamborghini of uh, <laughs> TI if they were all cars, you know? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Like, I guess Stardak would be like an old truck, right? Like a Ford, <laughs> old truck, right. Ford F-150. And then Ghost is like a slick Italian car. There's no you know. way you haven't used, I know for a fact you've used this exact analogy before, but probably, really? to, but probably to describe two completely different factions. And I don't, I couldn't yeah. tell you what, what those would be, but that's ad absolutely the case. Let's get to Definitely. number nine. Number nine is the most no, interesting. No, 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 you're doing oh. it wrong. Number nine. <laughs> is the most interesting position on the track. Uh, last year, this is what we gave to the Bear Nealetnev. Now that's when we were doing a tier list and we decided Bear Nealetnev was the most vanilla in the middle Middle of the pack faction, right? Nine falls dead center of the 17 factions. That has yes. changed. It is no longer Barony Aletnev. Interestingly enough, it has switched to what I would call their counterpart, the L1Z1X MindNet is now number yeah. The I, I, I think L1Z1X probably goes down as the faction that has shifted the most in our feelings for them and how powerful yeah. we think they are. Uh, in totally. our theoretical first tier list, we I think kind of notorious. We 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 infamously said that they are like among the top four factions. They are an unstoppable behemoth, and and that wrong. wasn't wrong. Well, at the time, at the <laughs> because what we say is definitive. Uh, when we say it, right, right. So so when we said that they were, and now. This is it. When, when we never do this a again. Single game, they were among the best four factions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I didn't even know what I was talking about, they were top four. Yep. But now I know everything, and they're and they're number what, nine. What makes but I will say this: I, I I just want to clarify this real quick because I would say that you know ghosts ghosts are cool, ghosts are fun, and they're they're slick, and they deserve to be exactly where they are. But the 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 difference between ghosts at number ten and L one at number nine is that L one and all of the rest of the factions we're going to talk about are the consistent deliver you the goods yep. factions. Yeah. They're not, you know, slick, like maybe you can figure out to do something cool or these are just like these factions get it right. done. The engine okay? works. That's where we're at now. Everything below Lizix, you have to make the engine work. Yes. Right? This one you just turn the key and yeah. you go. You just start her up. Yeah. Now and, and L she purrs. L1Z1X has some setbacks, right? The the five resource home system in tandem with their inheritance system abilities makes them like awkward to use. It's it is sure, awkward totally. to optimize them. Uh also, they don't start with the blue tech that you would love to see to put them ahead of I mean what what we're what you're about to see is a bunch of the upcoming factions all start with a blue tech that gets them gravity drive right away. L1Z1X right. doesn't really get to make a play for Mechatol Rex most games. So that puts them a point behind a lot of right. the other factions that can pull that sort of thing off. Uh it, they start they start kinda, with green and red. And also, green red is a terrible start. I mean that's that's useless for all of the things that they want to do. Right. Um and also I feel like it comes down to like one of their um you know, one of the biggest boons to L1Z1X is countered by Planetary Shield, yeah. and pretty solidly. You know, like, and 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 that's what I think. I think it's important for us to emphasize they are at nine right now. But and and it's funny to maybe do this again. Right. But I am expecting some movement upwards yeah. for L1 once everybody gets their hands on POK. That's well, just my guts right here. And my guts are my guts, and they're 100% right. What you know I what love I mean? about L1Z1X being in the middle position as the number ninth faction 
is to me what that says is they are a perfectly balanced faction. Totally. They have really, really good powers and they have perfectly significant drawbacks that keep them in line. Yeah. Um, L1, Z1, X is a faction that in every tournament we see, they're the ones that don't pretty much get banned very often. Everything above them is more ban worthy. But when they're in the game, they have a very, very high win rate. There's a very good chance that they're going to win. Totally. Um, that's totally. true of our next two factions as well. Basically, this this whole set of three is the factions that fall in that category, right? And then the six, the right. top six factions are like the six most bannable factions in kind of every tournament. Um, number eight on that list is Yin Brotherhood. Uh, Yin Brotherhood are maybe this. This probably actually is the faction that moved the most, right? Because we kind of put them as our our dead last. We used to hate them, but now they've they've risen up to the. Well, they best were faction. that. They were bad, and then you figured them out, and then <laughs> they were. And then once be you figured them out, now everybody gets them. <laughs> uh, you know when when I just want to say for the record, real quick. If you're listening to this and you have ever schooled your friends at Space or at a at Twilight Imperium, I almost called it Space Cats Peace Turtles. Um, if you've ever schooled your friends in Twilight Imperium, you're welcome, and that's our win. Okay, I count <laughs> oh your God. W. Ew. I have a little closet full of W's, and they're just like everybody's W's. They're all of mine. Yeah, he keeps that next to his closet full of asterisks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, what's what's up with the Yin Brotherhood? Uh, they they are in the same boat as L one. They don't have like a blue path, right? So they don't have access to that Mechatol uh, sure. first point. But what they do have is once they can take Mechatol, they have a really good odds of just like totally locking it down. You see plenty of Yin games where they get an Imperial point or two. Uh, they also can lock down their home system. They have all these amazing defensive tools, and they have such a good start that there's nothing holding them back from establishing a strong position in the mid game. That sends them to an unstoppable position in the late game, right? Yeah. They have all the tools yeah. to get them through the main part of the game. And then when it comes to the late game, what's your answer to them? You probably don't have much of one. They have too many infantry. You just can't take any ground fights. You can't make it happen. You can't stop them on their path to victory. They're beautiful. They go down smooth. Like I love when I start a yin game, it's just such like a simple, I don't know. It's like, it's like. TI yoga it's yeah. so chill it's just yeah. like yeah I'm gonna go over here I'm gonna do this and it's not like oh I have to figure out how to make this work right. it's just like nope it works it's fine yeah. you're good yeah they th to me that I've started to like them because I I do think they kind of feel like a vanilla faction like their their powers are not a thing you have to gimmick their powers are just a thing that kind of helps you accomplish everything right you just like I I'll hold planets a little bit better so that means I can do all the normal stuff better but I don't have any yeah. crazy movement options I don't have any crazy like that's true that's true but i mean I, I, you might be underselling battle. a little bit the sure. idea of holding planets better because no, that's pretty I, massive I, it, no i'm not saying that's not a good boon i'm just saying that's a very vanilla boon that's a very like yes basic thing to be good at compared yeah. to something like non-euclidean shielding speaking of number seven mm -hmm. is the nope, barony no, no. of number seven is the barony of letnev uh it's funny how they've kind of swapped around i think for the longest time i was Perfectly happy to say that L1Z1X was better than Barony, but I I think we've just seen the power of Custodian's points. And honestly, I almost feel like Barony is the best Custodian 
uh, point faction in the game. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because we've seen them in more tournaments and everything past Barony is stuff that gets banned. But mm-hmm. they were in almost every tournament game last year and maybe the year before. And Very high win rate. Very, very high very win rate. High win rate. Uh, so you, there, there's just a, not a lot you can discount. They have, an ama- they have the best home system, so they have great economy. They get great units. They can focus on uh, infantry. They have more of them, right? Armada keeps them constantly a threat uh, in space. What, what they lack is like planet taking, or not, I'm sorry, planet mm-hmm. defending uh, powers, right? They don't really have anything that helps them defend planets in a meaningful way. But what they lack in that, they make up for planet taking powers. They can go get most planets they want if they really want to focus totally. on that. They have, they have uh, I would say, just to kind of draw another dividing line, I would say Barony onward, we start talking about factions that have a lot of different advantages, like yep. a lot of different advantages. Three you might advantages. Say like, L1 has a couple different things going on, and, and it's good. Uh, but it's a, the, like we said, it's a little bit awkward. Yin, strong fundamentals yep. is what I would say. Strong fundamentals. And now barony is where you start saying like, okay, we got this type of advantage and this one, and right. we're good at this and then this. And 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 that's really true of barony and, and everybody else here on out. They've just got a lot of versatility. And also it's worth noting that in this year, we saw blue-red as a tech path really improve yeah. quite a bit. Definitely. And that has given them a lot more options tech-wise, where I think that's kind of the thing that pulled them ahead of L1, because it used to be you could say, like, yeah, L1's a little awkward tech path-wise, but, like, Barony is a little awkward, too. It's like, Plasma's great, but, like, you need to get NES, and that's that's red. And then we got a little boost to Majin, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, blue-red works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um Next up is the is the top six, right? If we were playing right. a, a six-person game, these would be the six best factions we can get. These are the six most bannable factions. The first one in this list, our sixth best faction, I think is perfectly, is perfectly positioned because they are what I would call the least deserving of the bans. The Emirates of yeah. Hakan aren't so good that they properly deserve to be banned every single game, but they get banned for met for like out of context reasons of just like, oh, it's a long game and I don't want to have to put up with the tools right, that right. Hakan brings to the table. There is some power there too, right? Blue Yellow is really good starting tech. They can get to gravity drive mm-hmm. very fast. They can very easily afford custodians points because they're getting trade goods round one for sure. Yep. They go into yep. round two with all the tools they need to take Mechatol. Uh they they don't they Can I they, say something real quick? Yeah. I, I, I want to throw something in here uh, for this, this discussion because I feel like I haven't ever really addressed this. One of the one of my worst takes on this show, in my opinion, is when I said that I didn't think it was like worth it for Hakan to like send one carrier yeah. and a dude to get the custodian's token. I was not right. Well, I wasn't wrong then. <laughs> I guess because I'm infallible, yeah. but <laughs> now I can say that in the present, that is, uh, that is wrong yeah. thinking and Hakan is great at doing that. And I, I don't see how you have the money to recruit them, but it must've been. Yeah. Hmm? You have the money to recoup that loss. Uh, yeah. and so they have a mid game thing of like, well, they're going to keep up cause they can just have a steady stream of money. They can do objective uh, like economic objectives, they can struggle holding their home system. They can struggle uh, maybe taking planets or holding their own planets in general. Uh, but all of that is made up for by their ridiculous late game powerhouse of their faction tech quantum data hub node. 
that is a game right. winner that gives them so many extra points that it had to push them up above Barony and above Yin and above L1Z1X. It's it is it is a game closer that basically no all, all but one faction can contend with, right? Quantum Data Hub right. Node wins a lot more games uh, than almost any other faction tech or ability in the game. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And when when Hakan has it, it feels a little hopeless, to be honest. It just yeah. feels kind of yeah. like, yep. It completely uh, changes the dynamic of the game. Got no plan for that. And yeah, and then their only downside is the fact that they have three planets in their home system, which doesn't have to be a downside right. all <laughs> right, the time. Right. Like, the idea that that's inherently bad is kind of like a misnomer. I mean, it's... It, right. It, it's it's going to be fine. You just got to kind of have to plan around it a little bit. You can't leave that right. door open for people. Um, exactly. But you have enough money like, to make it work. In the hands of a player that is that understands this, I feel like most of the time it's pretty easy to mitigate the risk of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, n- go ahead and give me the next uh, next call out there. Deep uh, Oh, no. What happened to him? Uh, number oh, five whoops. is the Federation of Soul. Um You'd think they'd be higher. They're not. They're exactly fifth best, but uh, their tool set is is just the basic meat and potatoes, right? This is just they do everything automatically, and everything that you everything that is good for like what a vanilla you know blue green is the mm-hmm. vanilla mm-hmm. tech path, and their blue green is way better than everyone else's blue green in right. by, by every single metric. Um, right. You. You you can pretty much do anything. You can get all of the tech stuff you want. The only thing, the only tech thing they struggle with is the two and four colors. And at that point, you don't need to go for that one. Like go for control objectives. You can hold planets well. You can take planets well. You can hold Mechatol. You can hold your home system. You can do it all, baby. Uh, but right. what we found is also it's just a really there's no tricks. There's no tricks to Soul. It's just do all of the stuff better than everybody else. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't really need a trick if you can win the race for the custodian token, yep. like what, like 60, 70% of the time. Right. Like it's totally, it's pretty solid. And not just um, win the race, but you're the faction where you can win the race and hold it all game. Some factions win yeah. the race and then, oh, they're in a tenuous position. Soul wins the race and, oh, they're there. You're, uh, we're stuck. <laughs> Soul made it to right. make it all. Oh, well. And, and, and you're right to say that. So they're kind of like what? They're, they're like Yen Brotherhood, strong fundamentals, but yeah. like I would say kind of turned up another notch, right? right? The fundamentals are even stronger, like best tech path yes. type deal. Um, but it, just because they don't always pull into, like reach into their bag of tricks, doesn't mean those bag of tricks don't exist, though. Like the party bus, for yeah. example, the sole sure. party bus is a thing, and it is a scary flagship. It's just kind of telling that Soul is so you know, such such strong showings from Soul means that a lot of the times they don't even need to go there. So they don't, right? But right. like they do they have, have a the little best bit of flagship in the game and they're so yes. good they rarely build it. <laughs> like you don't ever Honestly, need it. The thing that always blows my mind when I play Soul is like, I don't know why they get an extra command counter. Like I'll just <laughs> be don't like, why do I get yeah. this? Like <laughs> that that is how like, every skill no, that's how all of their Bennett's feel. It is Really, I needed this too. It, it, you could cut <laughs> yeah. half of their benefits, and they would still be a great. Fa- if you, if they just had their carrier two and their infantry two better upgrades, if that was it, if that was the only aspects to the faction, and they started with blue green, so it was very easy to then also get those unit upgrades. That would still right. be an amazing faction. They don't need orbital drop, and they don't need 
the extra command counter, but you give them those two. You could flip it the other way. You could just give them an extra command counter and give them orbital drop and not give them crazy awesome faction tech, and they'd still be a great faction. Like, it all just works. Everything about them does what it's yeah. supposed to do. It's just a matter of what we've also learned is that is, while not easy to stop, it is stoppable. Right. There, right. There's there, what, right. what soul don't have. What they lack is an ability to seal the deal. Yeah. If they're on the trajectory yep. to win, they will stay on that trajectory. But you can do stuff to get in their way throughout the course of the game. The next few factions, it's kind of difficult to stop the inevitable with them. They've got some deal closers yeah. um, for, I would say, at least one each of these factions, uh, actually, no, the next two have some specific deal closers. And then the the top two, I think, are just, they close the Every deal from start thing. to finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, that, that'd be a good transition into our next one. And, and this is, we're already there, guys. It's, it's top four time. Um, so here we go. Number four. Is the Nalu Collective. <laughs> uh, the Nalu Collective have the single... Best ability in Twilight Imperium. The fact that they have the zero uh, initiative order every single round and can go first means, as we've said a, a dozen times, as long as they play just as good as everybody else in the final round, they'll just win. They'll score before right. anybody else or right. they can pull off the first turn Imperial into the win. They just have things that win the game for them. Yeah. Losing to Nalu is so definitive. It's like kind of, I don't know. It's like... <laughs> can be kind of boring yeah to be honest like yeah you go into a final like... round and everyone counts it out and you go yeah let's just call the most well... <laughs> the most of the games that have been called early without finishing it i bet you 75 percent of them are nalu victories <laughs> right you right. can look at it and you can see down the barrel of the gun and you know you're done nalu's gonna win but i would i would say in general really what i would like to see with nalu is more early early game pressure yep. on them because, yeah, because they're, that's they're, where they early, their start is not great no yeah, they, they they don't start, I mean, they start with two tech and, and they, they don't start with the blue, so they're not getting the early point. Thank goodness. If they could just easily get custodians, forget Ugh. it. <laughs> It'd be over. Yeah. <laughs> there would be no stopping Nalu. Um, but they don't have access to that. Um, Fighter 2 isn't a foolproof plan, right? Fighter 2s are very good, but you can work, I mean, Fighter 2s are, they only hit so hard, so you, you, you can, the gum you can get past. But Neuroglave, by the time they get to Neuroglave, now they're a defensive powerhouse. So as long as they've found the points in the early and mid game, that's when they become unstoppable. So I, I agree. This would be the thing where if POK weren't on the horizon, I think we could see the community pushing more and more to crush early game Nalu. And you would see them drop in the rankings quite a bit because they don't have any real economic tools and they don't have any real planet control tools. They don't have the things mm -hmm. that all of these other factions in the top have. They just have the, the ability that breaks the game. <laughs> That's all they yeah. have. Probably the greatest single ability in Twilight Imperium is the zero token. Exactly. I can't imagine. In Frankendraft, that's what you want. Above all else yeah. is, is that yeah. ability. The, the ability, the second ability you want most of all belongs to the next faction. Ooh. Oh. Is the clan of Sar who do not need to control their home system to win the game. They can just do whatever. Uh, add on top of that a consistent economic engine of gaining trade goods every single time you take planets. Add to that the ability to just build on the moves so they never waste actions on like having to build at home. They just are constantly building. Uh, and that ability specifically gives them such a ridiculous 
early game advantage that they carry right. for the rest of the game. Uh, uh, I think the Clan Asar is certainly the most feared faction. They don't sure. win the most games, but they stop the most winners, or they or they or they end prematurely end the most games. They swallow a neighbor more than any other faction. Um, right. So they are the most bannable faction by a pretty wide margin uh, because nobody wants to even have Sar in the game because it's going to be bad for someone. If you end up next to the Sar, your chances of going down are pretty strong. Right. Uh, I would say, though, I mean, the I, I think they have so much heat on them. Yeah. They have an they have like the amount of heat that Nalu should have right. in the early game. It's just like, you know, because Nalu has a lot of a lot of heat in general, but it's like kind of hard to get your own early game started in order to wreck Nalu, right? right. Like, I feel like that's the reason. Sar, it's like, you can't do anything yeah. about them, period, in the early game at all. Right. And so that what that means is that you have to basically figure out with the rest of the table what you're going to do about Sar, which, you know, it does happen. We have seen it. But even in games where, let's say, sar's position has just been completely wrecked and their their plastic has been you know thrown out right. essentially we've still seen games where sar has come back and won right. from even essentially the whole table colluding against yep. them sar can win from with nothing left unlike any like in a way that no other faction can pull off uh, right and and that's what solidifies them in third place but it i mean honestly it's crazy that they're not higher up but these next two are just kind of so ridiculous that they you know sar's uh, pressure from the rest of the table just can't compete. Whereas these next two factions, even with pressure from the table, it it doesn't it rarely impacts yeah. their game very much. Yeah, I just don't know what you even do about them. To be honest, like yeah, that's just how it is. Um, you ready? I'm ready. Right, here we go. is the number two. Necro Virus. Not quite clinching it out as the best faction of the game, but the Necro Virus has the best economy because they can... Well, okay, let's put it this way. The command counter economy is probably the most important economy in any game of Twilight Imperium, and they have that with ease, and that translates into also improving all of the rest of their economies. They have a good home system that is reliable money, and they are... Uh, optimizing how they spend their resources or influence on command counters to where they spend less of either. <laughs> so they always have more of both. Uh, and they are the faction that has actually the best odds of ending with two and four colors, right? That right. even better than what we all know is going to be our number one faction, they can just go scouting across the whole table and get all of the tech they need. Um, so they're great at almost every single stage too. They're good in the early game. They're good in the mid game because that economy, the economy carries them all game. And then to top it all off, they have what is pretty easily one of the least touchable home systems in the entire game. They, they yeah. become completely yeah. indestructible. The only way you stop a Necro is by taking stuff on the outer reaches of their territory. But you will never right. stop Necro by taking their home system. That just is almost impossible if they play right, and right. what we what we mean by that is we're talking about the flagship yes. right yep. if you build that flagship you're an economic powerhouse that can definitely afford to build their flagship at home yep. in the mid game and then your flagship with a stack of infantry is un you're there's no way there's just no way around it yep. nobody's figured out a way to stop that i've never i've peer like and 
I've never seen that stopped by yep. anyone. Right, right. And and it if Nalu was the number one, most games just end because, well, we can't do anything about it. Necro is number two. You look at Necro's uh, solidified win and you go, we just, there's not even a point in, in pushing into their stuff. Right. There's nothing that we can touch about it. Um, right. They are just, they're just too good. Um, and the the other interesting thing about Necro is given the right game, they can even be a Mechatol faction because if there's at least one person at the table that's going to go for Gravity Drive early, they can get Gravity Drive early too. They can just make that happen. It's not that crazy right. difficult for them to pull off getting that. So they get to keep up with everybody in all of the factors of the game that matter. They're good at every objective. They're good at Mecha... They can be good at Mechatol. They're good at locking down Mechatol if they want to take it and hold it. I mean, they, they just... They do everything better than everyone else. There's absolutely no way to outpace the Necro economy. Yeah. Because... Because it, it's it's weird. It like it's like the fact that they can't research tech is almost like helpful. Yeah. <laughs> because right. it's like yeah they they never they, they they can't research their own tech, uh, which means that they never spend those resources on tech or right. that command counter right. on tech either. So that's a lot of that's a lot of resources they didn't have to spend. Yep. So yeah, it's beautiful. Yep. Uh, and that leaves our final faction. Nom, 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 I like that that felt like we were in an aquarium because number one is the universities of Jolnar. Honestly, in just talking about Necro, I started to get a little worried, Hunter. I got worried that the scientists got it wrong. Was maybe no, Necro the number we, one well, faction? Nailed it. But we nailed it. I, and, and I have the way to talk myself off that ledge. But let's talk about Jolnar's flaws real quick. Uh, first, okay. they start with only two infantry. Um, if they can get more infantry, they can have a perfectly fine round one. But they, that, that is a problem they always have to overcome. I have almost never seen a Jolnar not overcome that problem yeah. <laughs> round one. So the, the fact that we keep presenting it as if it's a problem, I'm starting to get suspect about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, technically, Jolnar has negative one. The, the real problem for Jolnar is sometimes they have trouble winning ground combats. Right. That's it. Right. Hey, that's it. Done. That's the only problem. That. And and let's talk about what works for the Jolnar, right? Well, okay, there's the tech thing, right? They start four yeah. tech already in the bag, and they can skip to whatever tech they get. They never get a tech they don't like. They never get a tech that's right. not useful never. to them. Um, so it's not just that they are optimally getting two and four colors and every other tech objective on lockdown. Uh, they're doing it without any fluff. And more important than that is two extra tools, research agreement and e-res siphons. Research agreement is so good, people talk about buying it and never using it just so that they can try to slow Jolnar down. They, 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 buy, a thing. they buy a thing for like just three money. trade goods. Yeah, they, they just give money to the Jolnar so that Jolnar won't later make more money. <laughs> That's how good research agreement is. Research agreement is like the main reason you can usually control your round one because you can just pay off warfare. Whoever's holding warfare probably wants research agreement enough to where you give them research agreement and mm -hmm. they will not stall you out of warfare and you can build the stuff you need to go take all the systems you want to take. You can get gravity drive round one easily. You can get e-res siphons. That's your second crazy ridiculous ability. Right? Once you research e-res siphons, print money. you print you money. Print money. Uh, and, and that makes them just as unstoppable as plenty of other factions. There's so many times you're in a game where, well, we have to do something about Jolnar. Well, they've properly gummed, so if we want to take out their home system, we're going to give them 16 trade goods to do it. And that's assuming they don't have any tricks to, like, burn one of our... You know, if, if they have a single thing that, like, 
stops our ability to move forward or they can get in the way of it and make us do it again. Like we're just feeding them more and more money. So economic objectives are easy. Tech objectives are easy. Control objectives can be difficult for them, but they can get so much money and build so many units and have such good tech that they can get even past that. They can bombard whatever they want. They can get war suns if they really want to, and they can afford those war suns. They'll be fine. Like yeah. they can do yeah. everything. And that versatility is the last thing that really puts them over the top is Necro still has to kind of play a certain way to pull off the trick, right? We need to have learned from Magi to get where we got with Necro. Jolnar, everyone and their dog can do Jolnar and win the game, right? Every, just anybody can pick up Jolnar, play it, and probably end in the top three positions, if not win, on their first game. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the the most consistent thing I feel like we've ever known in TI4 is that Jolnar is very good. Yeah. And in, you know, in the way that base game played out, the frequency of the tech objectives that just translated naturally to like Jolnar doing really well a majority of the time. Yeah. Uh, and I would say the things that people came up with to do with E-Res siphons just made it worse. Right. Um, the, the, the bigger desirability is... of research agreement just made it worse. Yeah. The, like, the, the biggest trick to me is almost like the inverse of our issue with extra that we described earlier, which is like mm -hmm. nobody really ever explained properly what it is that actually then gets you the win. It takes so much. I mean, Joel Nar Binks just recently put out an awesome extra guide, but it still is like we really have to dance around like what to do. You can say that in the opposite way against Joel Nar. Nobody ever quite explained what we're supposed to do to Jolnar to stop them and slow them down. There isn't right. like a definitive guide to getting in their way. Right. There's just not anything yeah. you can really do against them. I mean, they, they just carry games the whole game yeah. and never slow down. I think the most impressive thing about Jolnar is that, you know, since since the beginning, we've kind of known like, you know, Jolnar, Sar, and Nalu are, are, are up there from the very beginning. That's been right. consistent the right. whole time. But... Both Nalu and Sar have at times gotten little little hits, yeah. little moments where it was like they're, you know, they're kind of their their A tier, S tier, whatever status has been challenged. Right. I don't remember ever mm -mm. really seeing Jolnar lose a game yep. unless it felt like it was like, well, that that or when I say lose a game, I mean I should say have a really bad game. Sure. Unless the person playing it just wasn't that well, experienced. Jolnar is the one, too, that I've seen any time. Let's talk about these top six we said were the most bannable in our tournaments. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Jolnar, by memory, is the one that if it made it into the game, which it rarely did, but if it made it into the game, it won that game. Or right. it was like right there in the running. It was never yeah. crushed. But we've seen... I mean, we've definitely seen Hakan make it through and not be in the running. We've seen Sar yeah. make it through and still get stopped. Like, we've seen everybody else make it through but not find the victory. But Jolnar, they made it through, and then guess what? They got a win uh, in almost yeah. every every case. Um, yeah. Hunter, we get to transition into this goofy thing we're going to do. Uh, can you explain? Oh, what we just did wasn't goofy? Well, no. What we just did was definitive and exact and perfect. Oh, that's true. And, yeah, yeah. Now we're really going to goof around. Yeah. Now we get to have some fun. What what do we what do you have for me? And then I'll explain to you what I have for you. Okay, so um I, I thought in addition, since this is our last time to talk about base game in these definitive, like kind of listicle style ways, that we would also do 
kind of individual top five list. Yeah. And the and and we didn't give ourselves a lot of direction for what it should be. And so what I decided to do was I'm going to give you in order the five factions that I feel like I have a specific type of relationship mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Like if they were people, this is who they would be in my life. Right. And they are people and they are in my life. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've kind of characterized them okay. as real people. Okay. Uh, my list that I have for you, Hunter, is my list of my top five least head deskable factions. <laughs> That's beautiful. The factions that frustrate me the least to play and that keep me on an even keel and I don't need to see a therapist after I've played as them. That's beautiful. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, fifth will be kind of an issue. So, all right, let's do these in order. We're going to bounce back and forth. Hunter, what is your your fifth favorite faction? What what am I calling your list? So, so my number five, I'm calling uh, my first crush. Uh This is uh, the first faction I ever remember having strong feelings for. Um, we don't like, you know, we don't hang out like all the time. Um, but when we do, I'm like, oh, I remember I've always liked you. Um, and that is the L1Z1X mind net. Interesting. Um, that was, uh, in TI3, that was the first faction I remember liking. There was a three player game that me, you and Sean played where I played as the L1 and loved them. And I've always just kind of had a soft spot for them. Um, you know, I, I don't disagree with where we put them on our list. You're not allowed uh, to. But I think. But I and and I wouldn't. But I think for me, the kind of L one versus bear anything, I am always going to pick L one because it's just it's more my style. Yeah. I I know they're awkward, but I just love. I cannot get over capacity to dreadnoughts. Yeah. It just feels. Yeah, nice. we didn't even it touch on that. Good. But that is that is quite quite. Yeah. Good. And it's like, and and I feel like my relationship to L one has always just kind of been like, I just remember what it was like the first time, and 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 I don't I don't forget about L one, right? You know, yeah. and I'm excited to see L one grow in the expansion, <laughs> right? Uh, my number five, uh, my fifth least head deskable uh, faction is what I have categorized as the no deal. So this one, they all have some form of head desk. You cannot stop me from head desking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's that the head desk that is provided by this faction is actually in some ways good for me, perhaps. Uh, So number five is the no deal late game head desk. And that's, of course, the Clan of Sar. Clan of Sar is... I'm doing great. I'm doing all the things. I'm playing exactly how Matt wants to play, which is just like, no, go, 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 never stop. And the only reason I'm head desking in the late game is because no one will talk to me or no one will see, like, I don't get to make any deals. I don't get to do anything. I just have to play my game by myself in the corner, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with existing in that space. I, I don't I don't struggle as that player that everyone is playing against. Mm-hmm. It's sort of natural to me. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That that makes a lot of sense to me, Matt. That's yeah. that's that's a good that's a good fit for you. Um, can you remember SAR games that you are particularly proud of? Uh, the the first time I played SAR in fourth edition, I remember because it was the one where everybody. I think everybody early on in their TI career has this experience with SAR, which is you have that game you win where you end the game with like a space dock and a ground force in an asteroid field and that is it. Right. And you pull right. off like a secret objective in the status phase to win it. Out. Like that, that's, there's no more fun way to win a game of TI4. And so if I'm having difficulty reining it in, I get to lean on that of like, well, they knocked me out in round four 
but I actually could scrape my way through the rest of this game and still find a victory. And when I do find that victory, the rest of the players are going to go, ah, we didn't do enough. We didn't right. stop them enough. And that always feels good. So, right. I feel like Sar is the faction that I could imagine you playing where you win the game, but you still head dest. Yeah. You know, probably that's a, that's a weird aspect of it where I feel like you could still win and then still at some point you did head desk. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that, All right. That's that actually will come later. I have one that is kind of specifically that. Beautiful. Uh, but we'll get to it. What's your um, number four? So my number four, I'm calling this uh, my my worst enemy, or or maybe I should call it like my old enemy. Um, this is the Mentac Coalition because I used to hate the Mentac Coalition mm-hmm. uh, a lot, a lot. Uh, and honestly, I still do. I hate to play against the Mentac Coalition. And honestly, the way a lot of people play Mentac will get on my nerves. Yeah. But when I get my turn to be the bad guy, to be the bad boy, <laughs> uh, Daddy Likey. Daddy Likey a lot, okay? Uh, I You've recently know... discovered a new bad guy side of yourself, too. So I think this yeah, is something that's I, only on I, an upward honestly, trajectory. I think, it, I think it started with Mentac. Yeah. And... There was this little phase I was going through with Mentac where I was really, really uh, playing them. I mean, it was obviously for a guide, but while while I was doing that, I was really enjoying the process of playing them a lot yeah. and sinking my teeth into what they're good at. If you want to watch, um, there's a game uh, where I played against uh, Trump SC, the, uh, the Hearthstone. Hearthstone player. Very, very fun game, and I played as Mentac in that game. And I kind of... Uh, I think in playing Mentech a lot, I found some moves that I still kind of consider some of my favorite moves. Uh, when I was playing with Mentech is when I started uh, realizing that that sometimes it's a good idea to just take control of the speaker token and right. just like Lock it throw it. Don't even, you know, give it to yourself. Take politics again. Give it to your neighbor and just keep yep. just keep it on your side of the table. Uh, and I, I think the only way I was able to do that is playing with Mentech and having mirror computing meant it was possible for me to bankroll into the stage twos, right. uh, which is fun. And I like playing it that way. And I know it's mean, but I don't care. Okay. <laughs> we all, we, we are all, Hey, sometimes you gotta be a bad guy. Uh, my number four least head deskable faction is what I'm calling the stonewalled head desk. Uh, and this is the Emirates of Hakan. <laughs> Uh, the the Hakan is only frustrating to play when no one will talk to me at all. Because they, they right. necessitate you have to talk. The only way you use abilities as Hakan is through the negotiation. And if you're in one of those games where everyone's just like, you know what? Actually, just for screw Hakan. We don't wanna we don't wanna give you anything. That's right. That's a frustrating experience. It doesn't happen very often. And so usually I enjoy my Hakan games. Uh, but if I'm going to head desk, it's because I've just been completely stonewalled by the table and it feels unfair. It doesn't even seem fair that you guys won't let me even just use my faction abilities a little bit. Right. Yeah, what so one thing that I noticed over base game that kind of switched a yeah. little bit on us is that and it's really actually it's really funny that i picked mentech for number four and you picked hakan for number four because that's the uh, because it would have been the other way around yeah. before in TI3. you know you were the big deal maker in ti3 and i i i didn't because the deal making was really you know what it was i wasn't really much of a deal maker it's right. that there wasn't much deal making to do right. and i was good at what there was right uh you as soon as the deal making really got really granular agreements. i kind of yeah. checked out a little right. bit to right. be honest yeah What's your number three? My number three, I'm calling this uh, my my oldest friend. Uh, and this is uh, the necrovirus. 
I'm calling number three because there was something about when the t- when the when the game first came out in that first year. I remember being really attracted to the Necrovirus, uh, and there's this this memory I have in my head of playing um, of playing the Necrovirus for the first time and realizing what a powerhouse that flagship yeah. was. And I just love it. I love it so much. Uh, and pl- and and watching the Necrovirus is, I feel like, a faction that I had my eye on from the beginning. In TI three, they really weren't that great, man. They were right. like not right. They they I I did not. I I played them like once. Actually, I think in the infinite the infamous um, original Butt Brothers Coalition game, I played as the Necrovirus in that game, and I remember. Uh, not having the best time, yeah. but maybe that was because w- we were dealing with the Butt Brothers Coalition. Um, <laughs> but regardless, uh, the very first time we ever reached out to Dane, I wonder if you remember this, yeah. was over a Necrovirus episode. Do you remember that? I don't. Well, so it was the first time that to we confirm how the flagship works. Yes. So it was. Yeah. It was. We did not know for sure that the flagship. There was some sort of issue with the flagship that where we were trying to confirm something about the infantry and where they end up at the end of the fighting. Yeah. So we couldn't figure that out. And that was the very first time we reached out to Dane to try and get some uh, some clearing up of anything. (laughs) And And so they just always kind of stuck in my head is that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, My number three is what I call the classic head desk. Just ah, it's it's (laughs) the head desk. And that is the Yin Brotherhood. Uh, I, I just really came around on them in TI3, uh, 4. They're probably technically my favorite faction to play as, um, mm-hmm. but I do still have head desks with them. But it's for all the reasons I ever had desk in a game, just like, oh, forgot to do that thing or didn't see that thing or whatever. It's just all of the normal behavior. Um, but the faction is so good outside of that and, and I gel with their style so much that usually I can look past those mistakes and just be okay. Head desk one time, get it out of your system. Right, right. Just get in on. a little head desk. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's a good pick for you. I, I, I like when you play Yin Brotherhood, I, actually, my, to be I, honest. If I, I they're the pick... ones I default pick the most often. Like if we're just doing like a, like a draw or something, if Yin is in my hand, I will almost definitely end up playing Yin like yeah. almost every single yeah. time. Yeah, I like it when you play them. Um, okay, my number two, I'm calling this my lover, um, the Ghosts of Creus. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you have they come are, around on, there's a new fling you've got going on with them. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that that kind of started maybe the second year of the show, uh-huh. um, because you kind of struggled with the Ghosts of Creus whenever we did the first round of strategy guides, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think... I think that was the original faction where it kind of took you a while to like figure out what you wanted to say. And so I just had it in my head that they were really hard. Right, right. Right. And then I remember the first time I played them, it was like something sparked in me huh. and I was really excited about them. And then I'll tell you this, I enjoy playing them a lot. I wouldn't say that I'm the best ghost player or even really very good with them. Um, I think they're a little hard to play, frankly. Uh, but I can't think of a faction I would rather watch oh, yeah. someone play. Yeah. I love watching someone play yeah. Ghost. Yeah, a good Ghost player is probably the greatest thing to watch in any tournament game or otherwise. I mean, we saw yeah. it firsthand in last year's tournament. The, the best game was that Ghost game. Um, my number two is <laughs> the 
No one else had fun head desk, and that's the universities of Jolnar. Uh, I just, you know, you play the game, you steamroll, everyone else is mad at you the whole time, and so now I'm mad at myself for even picking Jolnar in the first place, but I don't care. I really like the Jolnar, and I'm really super thrilled that they got nerfed a bit because now I get to play them in Prophecy of Kings. I'm so sick of not being allowed to play what is actually my favorite faction. I really love Jolnar, but they're just so good in base game that it's you get eye rolls and nobody enjoys the game when you play as them. So right, uh, right. it's it's the we're all upset, we're all head desking together, but they are they're just the most fun to play. They have all of the tools, they get to deal make, they are not inhibited by tech. I get to do whatever I want with them, and that's fun. See, this is like my if if Yin is my favorite faction for you to play, Jolnar is probably my least favorite sure. faction. But I I hope that that will play. change in Prophecy of Kings. I hope that I can play Prophe- I can play Jolnar and no, no one will it- care. It won't for me because it's for me it's not about them being a really great faction or whatever. It's just about the fact that they have so many different things they can do. Yeah. That's what that's the <laughs> that's what I'm like, oh, I want to make Matt head desk yeah. right now because he is considering <laughs> bring all it of the, yeah. there are so many variables in his <laughs> matrix right now that I'm sick of it. And that's what I love about that's when you play Yin, I'm like, this is great. Because Yin, I'm locked in. They're good. The they're not good at everything. Yeah. They're good at one thing, yeah. and then, and then that's what you figure out how to make work. All right, do it. Are you ready for my number one? Yeah, this I, already, is my... I know what it is. It's boring. I'm so bored now. No, I'm just yeah. Kidding. Go ahead. No, do it. Give me your this number one. one. I'm gonna call this one my wife. <laughs> uh, this stupid son of a. <laughs> My favorite faction, number one, with a bullet, surprising no one if you've been listening to the show, is, of course, the buggy, my buggy, buggy wife, my bug wife, (laughs) who I kiss on her bug lips. I love her. Kissy, kiss, kiss for the Sardak Nor. I can't think of a faction that I have ever turned around so much on than Sardak. Like... I thought they were really bad in TI3, and I thought they were really bad in TI4. And you know what? I still think they're pretty bad. They're pretty bad. <laughs> like, they're not great. But I love to play them yeah. because I like the 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 challenge of playing them is really fun. And it just feels like because I think I think what it comes down to is I really like the early game. I enjoy mm-hmm. the like trying to figure out how to solve the puzzle yeah. of getting through the early game. And the way that Sardak is set up where it's like, yeah, early game sucks. Got to figure out how to make, got to figure out how to get through that. And then if you do, you get rewarded yeah. with all this little candy and stuff. So it just feels <laughs> like if I, it, th- having the game set up that way is my perfect TI experience every time. I wish I could just play Sardak Nor and play nothing else, yeah. but sadly I cannot. Right. But I, I wish I could. I love my buggy wife. <laughs> well, my number one least head deskable faction is what I'm calling head desk the faction. And it's the Winu. <laughs> I, I, I hope that this comes as a surprise, but there's a thing about the Winu that I kind of just like, I like doing it uh, because the Winu is the only faction where I will allow myself a respite from the desire to to solve it. Because I know there's nothing right. to solve. There's nothing there. 
What's the why? Why Bob? I get to enter like a Zen fugue state as the Winu, where I'm just like, I have mm-hmm. now learned how to roll with the punches. I can now Ooh. do anything because I'm such I'm pick. either a vanilla faction or maybe I'll get to do a cool thing and I'll get to ride high for a couple rounds and then yes, I'll get slapped down. I'll have my space dock on Mechatol Rex. Uh, uh, reactor meltdown, right? But that doesn't affect me like it does with anything else because, like, you see it coming. You know it's gonna happen. You put the space dock on Mechatol and you go, "Yeah, this is gonna get a reactor meltdown plate on it. That's fine. I'll pro- someone's gonna put, uh, you know, the 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 prophecy of Ixth on top. We're gonna or what, you know, whatever. We're gonna get hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, bad things are gonna. Ha- you know it from the beginning. You're like, bad things are gonna yeah, happen to me, and that's fine. Lean yeah. into it, baby. Ride ride that train. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's stupid, and I think I think Rwise uh, is here with me. He's he's had a few um, notable Winu wins recently himself, but I I think he would hopefully agree. There's just something about it of playing with absolutely mm-hmm. no benefits, and 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 right. and it's not even in that like I get to milk the table when I play. People don't care that I'm having a bad time when I play Ti. So there's no one there to be like, well, let's let's throw Matt a bone because he's playing as the Winu. They go, ha ha, Matt's <laughs> playing as the Winu. That stupid idiot picked the bad faction, and that's right. fine. I get to just live in that and and stick with it and go go for it. You know, I get to just be right. myself. Yeah, I like that. It's like it takes some of the pressure off. Yep, it makes it just something you can do for fun. Um, and yeah, that's that's and also I just feel like there's there's always been something about them thematically that i think you've always liked too yeah you know well i i i'm very excited for them in pok because again they're going to actually get some tools where they get to be possibly relevant and i'm excited because i i think it'll make them fun to play because the, the one thing that lacks with winu is the act of actually doing their stuff isn't necessarily fun it's it, it can be fun to be that player at the table the winu player at the table right mm-hmm. but it's not fun to just have no abilities and just be tr- struggling all game i mean it, it's right. its own kind of fun but in in ti4 prophecy of kings they're going to have some fun tools that i'm excited to it's sort of like what you just described with sardak which is like if i can survive the early game as winu i'm actually going to have some pretty ridiculous powers now like my hero is oh yeah off yeah the chain. you're talking about my wife <laughs> i'm talking about your wife my wife um so that's it that's our that's our lists uh i think we need to kick it over to, this is a long this turned into a long episode hunter uh yeah but, it's supposed to be a short episode i just wanted to say though real quick before we move on um i think it's cool that we did not neither of us picked we did not communicate what yeah. our picks were yep. to each other and we didn't pick a, a single, single overlap. I know. That's, I love it. Faction. Well, it's just proof that you and I are not the same kind of player at all. I hope nah. not to get s- stupid and like inward, but I hope that's what makes this show kind of good. Is that like yeah. the two of uh, the two of us aren't always or even often in agreement, um, or or more importantly, when we don't know something about a faction because we we aren't good with them, we don't care. We can look at the other person and let them take the reins or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's. It's been a fun ride, Hunter. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, this sadly, this is the last episode of the show. <laughs> Show's canceled. Let's show. go over to the errata. All right, welcome to uh, Space Cats Peace Turtles errata. This is some Lizards errata coming right at you. This root. is from our great Lizards episode from last week that I definitely had Power. something to do with. And- <laughs> Definitely not. It wasn't definitely just Matt. Um, <laughs> but so this is errata for both of us for equally, yep, yep. you know, definitely not just for Matt. Uh, Marcus the cat says, 
I think you guys, see, Marcus gets it. That is both of us. I think you guys missed emphasizing the scoring potential of the Dom swap. It allows you to score when you've drawn bird cards. It's not just for manipulating the outcast suit and denying others access yeah. to dominance. So cards. we just de- we described I called it dominance cycling uh, because dom swap sounds just so deeply sexual. Uh, but I I uh, this was a point I didn't bring up in that conversation, which is to say you can take a bird card and we we described trading the bird card for the bird dominance and then trading the bird dominance for some other dominance. And the important point to that is it makes one of your bird cards now a scorecard every single time, no matter what. In the late game, right. if you have a bird card, it means you can get a dominance card and score with it instead of just having the bird card that isn't going to do as much for you. Okay, actually, I have a question about this. Yeah. Why do you need to get the bird dominance first? It's only just... The only reason you're doing that is to keep it out of everybody else's hands. Uh, okay. You're just doing it because the bird dominance is kind of the most lucrative dominance right mm-hmm. you only need two okay, clearings okay. instead of three. i think i already even asked so that every every yeah, like, uh every every time that you take it it's keeping it out of everybody else's hands for a full round and uh it just it it's lessening everyone else's options which is is nice uh, next up is one from bot bot one small note about royal claim which is the uh the card that you need four of a suit uh and you can score points based on how many territories you rule we kind of went eh, we don't love it but Brotbot points out because you play the card in Birdsong, not necessarily at the start of Birdsong, you can use it after your conspiracies. That means you can craft it, and at the beginning of your next turn, you can do some Sanctify stuff, get new buildings, and then play Royal Claim. You're already in a tough spot to actually craft it since you need four of one garden type, but because of the timing, it can be more lucrative. Keep in mind, it's kind of an edge case in a Magic Christmas land. So just just to point out that we downplayed Royal Claim a bit much, but not too much. It's it's not that great of a card for you, and you're probably not going to get it in most games. All right, this next one is from Justin K. Um, Justin K., still doesn't think that favors are all that great for lizards for a couple reasons. The main thing is, the main thing, of course, is that getting favored as lizards is very, very bad. You lose a card for every garden removed and don't even get any acolytes as consolation. And because of your problems with moving and battling, you're one of the least able to stop an incoming favor. Yeah. Okay. So the yeah, we we talked about how, you know, as lizards you can kind of you can sometimes in a game only control a single clearing of a type and still pull mm-hmm. off the favor and that's like a huge powerhouse nuke. Uh but this is a really good reason to hate the base deck, which is because you might only be in one territory, someone else can easily get three others and completely destroy your absolutely best main scoring house. I mean, this is how people completely upset the flow of your game. This this doesn't just hurt you. This ruins your game. You are out. You right. are completely out of the right. running if you get favored. And it's definitely true uh, that it's probably a bigger threat to you than it is a threat that you can hold against everybody else, even uh, though so this you're is really point, good at using favors. This is like a point against picking the base deck. Yes. Like, let's say if you're in a tournament and you right. get to pick, yeah, don't we, pick we the base deck We toss up all the lizards. other abilities, but the threat of a favor is so overwhelming that it may still not be worth it. Well, I think it's, I think with lizards in general, Crafty Corner was like really hard to write. Yeah. Because it's like, what do you talk about? And I think it's hard because there really isn't a whole lot to talk about. Right. So it, so whatever we did decide to talk about seems like it's like 
emphasized. Yeah. Right. 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 It feels like we're talking about it more than maybe we are. Um, I want to thank all our weird bears. Farganess, T.G. Welch, Brian, BotBot, Kaluin, Billy, and Squeamish Emu. And I want to thank our Space Kitties, Naderade, Patience is a Virtue, Polyphony Requiem, Rwise, Gaskio, Dark Jutsu, Absol, Astoria, Ready Action, Vision S, Brave Sir Robin, Uncle Batty, and Frank G. And thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Okay, got some Patreon business for you right now. Um, Galactic Council, you have a new poll. Um, this is for the Galactic Council episode happening in December. I don't, I, I'm not assigning a date to it because the holidays have made everything weird. And we have no idea what the schedule is going to be like. It's also just a weird time for the show um, in general. But here are you, here are your options for the, your December Galactic Council episode. Um, first option is Flagship Tournament 2. This is the best option. Um, we're going to roll dice on the show. This is the only way we can do that. And it'll be Flagship v. Flagship. We'll figure out the rules again. And we've got all the new flagships to play with. Now, is it weird to kind of do it you know, as a lead in. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it is. This episode is such a bad idea that there's never a good time for it. So we might as well do it now. <laughs> yeah, we might as well do it now. It's such a dumb thing and it's really fun and I love it. It's like my favorite episode of the show. Um, second option is a POK audience agenda brainstorming session. So this is where uh, we would get some some submissions from the audience of new audience agendas. We have a new expansion, so we might as well get back to our goofy ways of uh, getting some audience expansions out there. Uh, so this would be us talking about your suggestions, maybe even throwing in a few of our own of making up some new agendas. Maybe you're like, oh, that's overwhelming because there's already new agendas in POK and I'm not, I don't even know about those yet. But, you know, whatever, dude. Like, well, audience agendas are so much more than that. And the whole point, too, yeah. is... Our, the audience agendas we used to have, a lot of those became components in Prophecy of Kings, which means it's only yeah. time for us to up the ante. Now we have to get yeah. really weird with audience agendas. Um, and I want right. to do an audience agenda stream sometime early enough in 2021, uh, whenever, especially when if we can do an in-person game, you know, once vaccines are rolled out for COVID and everything, I want to do that. And I want 20 solid audience agendas going into that of all new. I want to throw out every old one and give us 20 fresh new audience agendas that are right. terrifying right. and will hurt me. Um, okay. And the next option, this one's a little weird. This is our uh, GOAT tier list where we take um, all of the greatest base game TI4 players, and we make a tier list for them. Definitely not going to make anyone upset. Definitely not. Definitely going to get people mad at us. Uh, but we talk about all of uh, you know the best plays and the best players uh, that we've seen in competitive TI4 base game, and we make a tier list for for you guys, um, and we give our opinions on. Uh, the the kind of pseudo celebrities that we've created uh, on this show through talking about these great players. Do you have anything I, to say about that I, one? Matt? I'm excited for that one. I'm excited to try to make sure we give some more attention to um, some more semifinalists and stuff. I feel like all the attention always yeah. goes to the finalists. You know, we talk a lot about Magi and Luke and Nine of Spades and stuff. And I think there's a lot of players that aren't being highlighted, and also players that aren't weren't in tournaments, right? We know of some other right. players. Oh no, you've been playing a ton more this year specifically, and and there's other people you've played with. You know, I want to shine a light on some of our best Goodyear Brotherhood players. There's there's just all sorts of right. people that haven't gotten their their day in the sun, and they deserve it. Yeah, I agree. I, I that would be a fun option. We have a similar option in the Hunter Donaldson fan club. When we get to that, um, next option for Galactic Council is Root Swiss style tournament structure. So right now. 
um, some of our root tournament council have been uh, organizing a root tournament that has a a uh, style of organization that they're calling Swiss style, which I assume has something to do with Switzerland. I don't know, and I don't it's understand a, it's the a, style. It's a, it is a already determined style of tournament. Like this is tournaments are structured Swiss style. It's a thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it it's cool. I I think it sounds interesting. I don't know a lot about it. I would like to learn more about it. And Matt, you kind of feel. You're not so into it, Here's, so it'll no, be kind of like me I, trying I'm to talk into you into it. it existing as a tournament style. What you will have to do, Hunter, in this episode is try to convince me to allow it to be how our tournament is structured. Yeah. Good yeah. luck. Yeah, good luck to me there. And then the last option is um, we do a book review for the new Twilight Imperium uh, book. What is it called? I forgot what the title is. The Fractured Void. All right. Yeah, so we will read Fractured Void and talk about it. Um, here are your options for the Hunter Donaldson fan club stream for December. Um, this will be a stream at some point. I'm not scheduling these anymore because it's just been too crazy lately. Um, so your first option, this is what I'm very excited about. So this is kind of a playoff of your other option in the Galactic Council. Um, so this is a Twilight Imperium player live tier list. So, stupid. so <laughs> what we do is we make a tier list using that tier list generator and we sit on the stream and we rank not just pros, every player that we can think of, including the two of us, yeah. including the two of us, including the two of us, including anyone who hops in Twitch chat. And if we've ever seen or heard of you playing, I mean, anybody, anybody who gets in there can, we can are nominate players. Ultimate, People can just start yeah. throwing out names like it's going to be an absolutely wild. And as we receive more names, we will just have to fit them into the list somewhere. We just got to make yeah. it all work. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be will. That's a funny one. Um, and then the rest of these options, none of these, none of this is really TI related. And the reason is because we're kind of in a weird place with streaming right now. Yep. Um, POK is, is out. It's happening. Um, the pandemic is still a thing. Uh, the TTS mod is not going to exist for a while for POK. Yep. So you might not see as much, uh, TI content, uh, out of our Twitch as maybe you would like or expect in December. Uh, but I hope you understand the kind of realities of it right now. Um, your other options are uh, we do a non-TI board game tier list, kind of a tier list for normies. We're into tier lists right now, okay? We're it's just kind of on a kick. It's a wrap up the year. It's just a good thing yeah. to do, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this would be um, all of the games that we love, all the other games that we love, and we would just talk through what what else is at the top of our list what what falls at the bottom i'd love to do this like with every single game that i own or between you yeah. and i every game we have owned or do still own and rank yeah. them all love it love it yeah yeah so we're we're big about ranking right now and then um your next option is we play one night ultimate werewolf uh that is like a classic in our friend group um and we've never we, we you know we've got some of the other stuff out like we got to do letters from Whitechapel and some some other weird stuff that we do obviously we got camel up uh if you've seen the holiday spectacular you know about camel up um uh, or maybe you know about twilight imperium i don't know um but yeah we would we would love to play one night ultimate werewolf and uh, have you guys watch that um the next option is the very popular um geo guesser uh i'm not even going to explain that if you watched the 24-hour extra live stream like that we did, you know all about GeoGuessr. Like 2 a.m. We did a lot of that. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I love it. And I actually pay for the pro version because I'm crazy. <laughs> um, Spy Party. That's the last option. 
that's just a cool game and it's a two-player game and i always like it when me and matt just play against yeah. each other with nobody else it. nobody's it's screwing fine. it up that would be fun for us but you're not gonna pick it you don't do things that are fun for us <laughs> you're not gonna pick that one let's be real <laughs> um okay this week um twitch wise i make no promises and also the just like i said twitch is gonna be weird uh you know when cyberpunk finally comes out maybe i'll just play that a bunch on twitch i might do that um for the youtube i have a goofy uh double vagabond root tournament game that's coming out (laughs) on our youtube i also think it will be out on other youtubes as well so i think you'll be able to watch it as one piece of the tournament but if you check out um our youtube version of it it'll just be that game by itself um also uh patrick leader of leader games co-commentated it with me and i would say our commentary was pretty chill um we (laughs) mostly it's more like a live reaction video than it is like watching patrick grapple with what he did to his own board game like the the act of there being two vagabonds and what happened in that game is him coming to terms with the design things that he and his team allowed so it's it's quite fun uh, I would love it if you gave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Uh, the rating increases the visibility of the show and gets more people interested in Twilight Imperium. Uh, you can also find our website, spacecatspeaceturtles.com, and on there is information about our Patreon. You can find our Twitter and Facebook. You can find all of the different Discord options, like the Woodland Warriors, the TI4 Tabletop Simulator Discord, and our Discord. Uh, and also you can now find our merch page. Uh, we have both our uh, game mat available and our new Threadless store with all uh, a ridiculous slew of stuff. We basically hunter-checked every single box that was available to him that made sense. You can buy shirts and hoodies and plates and rugs and bath mats and towels and cups and everything. You can just you can buy it all with, with our logo stuff on it. It's pretty awesome. There's also a really good design of a sad boy weird bear that I'm particularly... Yeah. Uh, in love with so go get a sad boy weird bear hoodie or something that'd be cool awesome awesome yeah check it out it's 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 great we did a lot of good work on it and thanks to uh sun sanders yeah for doing all the art just all if you see any art associated with us that's all him yeah hunter uh in, in spirit of this tier list episode i'm gonna make you give me a hot take what is your number one sexiest faction Number one sexiest faction? Yeah, what makes you feel the sexiest to play it, and you think it's the sexiest faction? Ooh. Well, I mean, I sort of said ghosts mm-hmm. in my thing, and I also sort of said Sardagnor. Honestly, at this point, it'd be easier for me to come up with, like, who's not sexy, because uh-huh. it's kind of, I mean, if you look at the 17 of them, it's kind of 17 hotties, you know what I mean? <laughs> Arborek, it's like, oh, kiss me, Seymour, yeah. you know? <laughs> Muat, it's like love sucking eggs. Um, <laughs> I think mine is uh, mine. Mine is uh, the Asarl tribes because I just I like having secrets from you. I like having the goblin secrets. aspect of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they sneak into your bed at night. You know, <laughs> we gotta go. I gotta go. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>